I hope you have had a good week and are ready to start the last week of August, which honestly feels kind of weird to say. Um, August has had a lot going on. Um, one thing about August, which is not normal, at least, at least I don't feel like it's normal, is the weather has been a little different, uh, August and even July. I mean, yes, we've had our hot, humid days, but it just seems like in Indiana, basically you get to mid-July and it's like, you're never going outside because it's always hot, it's always humid, but July had some humid, hot days and it was comfortable. August has had some humid, hot days, but it's been comfortable. So August has been a little different as far as the weather climate. Uh, school has started. Some schools have been in session. Some schools have been online. Some schools have been a little bit of both. That goes the same for college. As students are returning to campus, uh, they've kind of had a kind of a mix-up in the way things are going to happen for them. And it's been kind of odd for especially our college freshmen as they go to start school and start college and their freshman year experience is their dorm room pretty much only. Uh, so college has been kind of odd. Um, college football uh, was canceled, and then all of a sudden this last week we kind of got news that maybe it's not going to be canceled. It's going to get started up again. Professional sports have been going on for a while, but uh, they're a little odd to watch without fans attending games. It's just kind of weird. It looks like a scrimmage or a practice, like it's more exciting to go to a high school game right now or even a middle school game sometimes. Um, the political climate we're in. I mean, I'm not going to get started on that, but that's crazy. There's a lot of division, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of, you know, um, hatred even that's being thrown out from either side, and it's just, it's, it's difficult to watch. Our social climate, we've been dealing with this um, all year long, it seems like. We've got a lot of division that's happening. Uh, coronavirus, I mean, obviously, it's 2020. We've got that going on. It's like, it's almost like things that happen in 2020 now, I see them on the news or I see it on a social media platform and I'm like, eh, it's 2020. It's not like I don't care about it, but please don't take it like that, but it's like, it's 2020. It's like everything is happening this year. It just, it just, it kind of beats you down. You're longing for some good news, at least I am. I know every now and then when something nice or good comes across social media or on the news, occasionally when that happens, it's like, ah. <sighs> man, that's kind of nice to see something that's positive. But the sad thing is, is those, that good news, it lasts for a short period of time. Sometimes only a few hours, maybe a few days. If you're really lucky, you get the whole week out of it. But as Christians, we have the ultimate good news, right? I mean, we have the gospel message, uh, the message that Jesus Christ came to earth, fully God, fully man, lived here for 30 some odd years, did his ministry, fulfilled the Messiah prophecy, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, kind of bridged the gap between us and God, offers us a free gift of salvation, of eternity with the Father in heaven. Like, that's some good news. That's exciting stuff. That, those are things that, that's going to last. But that's actually not what I'm talking about this morning. Although that is great news... It's amazing news. That's actually not what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about security. I want to talk about confidence in our faith. Before I get going on that, I got a question. 
What kind of security do you have at your home? Or do you have any at all? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. But for others, maybe it's the deadbolt on the front door, and that's all you got. For you, that's fine. You go to bed before you go to bed at night, you check the door, the door handle's locked, and you just click the deadbolt, and you're good to go. You can go sleep like a baby. That's fine. For others, maybe you have uh, floodlights or motion detector lights outside that if something moves outside, maybe the backyard lights up or the driveway lights up or the sides of the house light up, and that just makes you feel better. It just makes you feel more comfortable. You can sleep better. Uh, some of you uh, maybe have a guard dog. Maybe it's your guard dog is only, you know, eight pounds. Uh, but some of you have like massive, huge guard dogs that are like scary and they bark and nobody is, you know, willing to come within 25 yards of your property because it freaks them out. And, and maybe that's what you have. Maybe you just have a really mean cat uh, that sits in the windowsill and somebody comes up to the house and says, oh, there's a cat there. I'm not going in. I'm not messing with that place. Maybe that's what happens for you. Maybe you have a full-fledged security system. You know, the keypad, as you walk into the house, you got to type in your, um, your key code. you got to have a retinal scan. you got to do a voice recognition. you got to do all these crazy things. You have uh, window alarms and door alarms and motion detectors and cameras and, uh, you know, lasers and all kinds of crazy things at your house. And that makes you feel comfortable, I'd hope, anyway. The point I'm trying to make is whatever security you have at, house, at your house, whether it's a state-of-the-art technology, um, this amazing security system with the little signs in the front yard, this house is protected by such and such company, or you just have the deadbolt, whatever security you might have, I'm assuming, at least, that it's enough for you, that that security system makes you feel comfortable, enough to be able to go to bed at night, to leave during the day, to maybe go on vacation whenever vacations are allowed to happen again. Um, maybe you can, you can leave your kids um, at home a little bit and you feel good about this. You feel good about your security system. Because my guess is if you didn't feel good about it, you'd be looking for additional security. You'd be looking for something else, something more to make you feel safe. See, feeling secure is kind of part of human nature. We like to feel safe. We like to have our ducks in a row. We like to know that things are going to be okay. Because this feeling of security brings over a feeling of calmness over us. Just this comfort. And we're like, ah, we can sigh, a sigh of relief. And we're like, we're good. But that calmness isn't present when we're afraid, when we're nervous, when we lack security, when we lack confidence. That calmness isn't present. And when we get, begin to get nervous or we begin to get insecure, um, we begin to get a little shaky and uh, we're a little uh, upset and we're, uh, we're worried about the unknown and we don't know what's going to happen next. Well, today I want to talk about security in our faith. Whether or not we have confidence in our, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to touch on uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Uh, there's several passages of Scripture throughout the Bible that can talk about security and confidence in Christ. Uh, and this passage, I just want to focus on just a little bit. We get a little bit of a glimpse of security or confidence in this passage. I'm going to go ahead and read this. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, do, unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So just real quick, the high priest. Without going into a huge discussion about who the high, high priest is, the, the rituals and all the rules that they had to follow, let me just explain to you the high priest, the Old Testament high priest is a big deal. All right, this guy is very, very important. He does a lot of different things, but one of the really big things that he does is once a year he gets to go into the inner part of the temple and he gets to offer an atoning sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. All right, so the sacrificial system is still in play. Even in the New Testament, it's still in play here. The Jewish people are still doing this. And they have to kill something in order to have sins forgiven. And, and if you don't understand the sacrificial system, I don't have time to go into it right now. There's a lot there. But just understand that death had to happen to wash away sin. And, and people did this on a regular basis. But once a year, the high priest walked in and it was a big deal because it was an atoning sacrifice. It was one that wiped out the sins of the nation and his, also his sins, but it wiped them all out. It's a pretty important time. It's almost kind of like a reset, at least for a period of time. It lasts for a little bit, for about a year. This is a big deal. This passage tells us that Jesus is our high priest. So the high priest is that intercessor, that mediator between God and the people of Israel. But when Jesus steps into that role, he takes on the responsibility as the mediator, as the intercessor between God and the people. He takes on that role. So he is then able to offer a sacrifice. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus. He steps into the position of the high priest to offer the sacrifice, but he also steps into the sacrifice. He plays both roles. And in that moment, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. So when Jesus steps into the role of the high priest and steps into the role of the ultimate sacrifice and he is killed on the cross and he dies and he's buried in the, in the tomb and then raises from the day, dead three days later in a bodily form, he wipes out the sacrificial system. He, he completes it. It's finished. It's done. There's no need for it anymore. The high priest now, the ultimate high priest, has stepped into the sacrificial portion and he's wiped out the sacrifice. The whole system is done. It's fulfilled. And that chasm that's between us and God has a bridge now, and it's Jesus. There's a gate, there's a door, there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And we follow through him, we go through him to God. And that communication that we have with God is now opened up, and we get a direct line to the Father now. We don't have to pray around him or to somebody else to get to him. It's straight to him now. We have that ability because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, like I said, I could preach just that verse for a few weeks, I think. But let me move ahead a little bit. The writer of Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
there are several things we can have confidence as Christians. But this morning, I just want to look at a few of them. The first one is confidence of care, in our care. So uh, a month or so ago, a couple months ago, I preached a sermon uh, about God's provision, his, his protection. That's kind of what we're talking about here. God provides. He takes care of us. But let me, let me use an example. So the eagle is one of the largest and most powerful birds in the world. I love eagles. They're amazing to watch. Uh, their wingspan's going to be up to seven feet. Uh, they're an amazing bird. They have huge nests, and these nests are made up like any other bird's nest of leaves and sticks and sometimes mud. But inside the nest is lined with some green leaves, especially when it's in use. And once a year, the female eagle lays one or two eggs. And most of the time, the male and the female both take turns caring for the eggs for about 40 days until they hatch. And then again, most of the time, the male and female both care for the baby eagles. They go out and they get food, one's protecting, and they take turns caring for the eagles, taking care of their young. But then around week 11 or 12, something kind of strange happens. Um, the parent eagle, it's probably the dad, uh, but the parent eagle gets up on the nest and kind of uh, settles in on the edge of the nest and begins to stir the nest. And when I say stir the nest, I don't mean like a nudge, like, hey kids, wake up. It's like when I wake my kids up, it's flipping the mattress over. It's really waking them up, and he shakes the nest. And if these baby eagles have not ventured out of the nest at this point and tried to learn to fly, they're going to learn. Because he actually tips the nest over, and the eagles begin to fall, a free fall. And their wings begin to flap in panic. They're freaking out because they're new to this whole flying thing. And at the, this, the, while this is happening at this moment, the parent eagle is watching from above for the right time. And as the baby eagle is falling and flapping and trying to learn to glide and, and fly, the parent eagle watches and then with its wings spread wide, swoops down and catches the baby and delivers it back to the safety of the nest. And this doesn't just happen once, it happens a few times, but this is how they learn to fly a lot of times. Have you ever felt like the nest has been tipped for you? That life has got a little bit crazy, you've been tossed from the nest and you don't know how to fly. Well, like I said earlier, it's 2020. So yeah, I think a lot of us would agree that we've had that feeling. The life is uncertain. And although every day of life is uncertain, and even 2019, we were uncertain about things, and 2021, we're going to be uncertain about things, but 2020 just seems to be full of it so much that we just can't get a grasp of anything. We can't get, our, can't get a foothold. We can't get any grip. See, we struggle to know how to handle situations in life that we're in sometimes. We worry about what the end result's going to be, and we can't see the future, and that troubles us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then skip ahead to verse 34. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm sure you're familiar with that passage. Maybe even read it one, two, three hundred times this year. Um, Probably been around a little bit. But the amazing message Jesus gives us here is that we don't have to have confidence in our own abilities. Because we have a confidence in the one who cares for us, the one who provides for us, the high priest, the ultimate sacrifice. We can have confidence that even when we're tossed around by life, we feel like we're free-falling, God is going to be there to catch us. When we look to tomorrow and we're not sure how things are going to go, we can understand that God is going to be there then as he is here now to care for us, to carry us through. Number two, we can have confidence in our forgiveness. This is a powerful part. This is an amazing part of the story. In addition to being confident in God's care for our physical lives, we can have great confidence in God's ability to care for our spiritual well-beings and our shortcomings, the issues that we have. We have a Savior who's willing and is able and wanting to forgive us of the sins that we struggle with. You ever feel like life's a chess game? I don't play chess. I've watched it several times. I'm not smart enough for it, I'm convinced. But I, I can understand the analogy that life's like a chess game because you've got you to be very careful the moves you make. And then the person you're playing against, your opponent, they're watching you and they're always thinking a few moves ahead. You ever feel like you're in a chess match with Satan? Like, like there's something going on in your life or maybe a series of things that have happened in your life that you're like, oh, Satan got me on that one. Uh, he's backed me into a corner. And you feel like sometimes you're just, you're right at checkmate and like there's really no move left. Like there's nothing else you can do. But the amazing part of the story is there's always one more move. God. He's the move. In 1 John 1, 9, we're told, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, real quick with this verse. This verse is not a free pass. This does not mean we get to live our life for ourselves, in the world, do what we want to do, live a, live a life of sin, and then come back to church pray, ask for forgiveness, take our communion, feel really good about ourselves, and go back out and then start all over again, living for ourselves, sinning, living in the world, and then come back to church again and pray. It, it's, that's not what this verse is saying. It's not, a, it's not an opportunity. It's not a pass for us just to go do what we want to do and just be like, oh, well, it'll be okay because I'll go to church. I'll ask for forgiveness. It'll be all right. That's not what this verse is saying, but what this verse is saying is that when we get trapped into a corner and we do make a mistake, but we want to turn away from it, we have the opportunity to do that. We go back to the Father. Not only do we have a Lord who understands us and understands what we go through when faced with temptation, but we have a Lord who has promised us that He will, if we confess our sins to Him, and we repent of those sins. We, we, we confess them by making them known. We repent by turning away and actually moving away from them. That he will forgive us. That's an amazing move. 
And the, the great thing about it is we can use it a few different times. It's not a free pass to live life the way we want it. But it is an amazing gift we have because of the grace of God. Number three, confidence in our eternity. When we know we have our physical lives taken care of, and we know we have our spiritual lives taken care of, our shortcomings are taken care of, that means we can have confidence in eternity, in our forever. You see, when Jesus stepped into that role of the high priest and to that role of the ultimate sacrifice, it paved the way for eternity with God. It's a gift we have to accept. It's a free gift we get to accept, but it's for us. This promise of forever with the Father. Can you fathom forever? I can't. Everything we know has an end. Everything we know has an end. But it's forever. Unending. And the really amazing thing about that is the forever doesn't start after we die. See, if we have made a decision, if you've made a decision to become a Christian and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you have accepted that free gift, you're forever started in that moment. You're forever started in that moment. Death is, is, is merely like a, like a turn in the road. It's like, oh, you die, and then you're in heaven, and it, it forever happens that way for you. So forever happens in this life and forward. If you have a relationship with the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. Now, there is a ton in this passage. Probably some questions you might even have from this passage. But I just want you to listen to it and, and kind of follow where I'm going with this. <clears throat> Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know the end result. We know the final outcome. If you're a Christian today, you can have confidence in your faith because you have a God that is going to forgive you of your sins, that's going to grant you the victory, as Paul says. There's only one way to be sure of this confidence. 
that I've spoken about this morning, and that is to have a genuine and personal relationship with the Father that starts with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I want to make sure you understand that. I want to make sure you have a confidence in knowing that. Another reason I want you to have that confidence is because I know that your spiritual life won't take off until you are assured on where you are with God. Until you really understand that God's got you, there's this level of doubt and concern that just keeps weighing on you. You're not moving forward. You're staying in one place. So be assured that you have a father that loves you, cares for you, forgives you, and will give you a victory of eternity with him, with a relationship with him. He wants us to rest confidently, knowing that he is ours and we are his. We belong to each other. The entire Bible is a redemptive story to get back to us, him reaching us, us reaching him, being together again. But the truth is, the problem is there's still a lot of insecurity, even in this room right now. There's a lot of question. There's a lot of wondering. Some of us have more security in our homes than we do in the security of our faith. Some of us put more trust in the deadbolt on our front door than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's just the truth. We can see that. It's tangible. We can touch it. We know it's latching. But when one thing kind of shakes our nest and we get tossed out, we begin to wonder, is God really there? Does he really love us, care for us, protect us? We question it. If you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ, today can be that day. You can have this confidence that I'm talking about, this security that I'm talking about. You need to come to him and begin a new life of confidence. Maybe you have a relationship with Christ. You made that decision in your life. That light was bright and it was glowing for a while and then life happened and it started to dim a little bit. Sin has got into your life and has rattled your confidence and you're unsure of where you stand with God. Be reminded. You can take security in the fact that you can confess your sins, repent, and be forgiven. Because that is a promise that we are given to by the Father. So each week we come to communion. We come to this table. We come to a time of remembrance. And in this time we can express thanks. We we pray, we can come up front if we want to, we pray at our seats, and we remember the sacrifice that was made, the ultimate sacrifice, the high priest, Jesus, stepping into that role. We remember it through this table. The wafer, the bread, represents the body of Jesus Christ, and the juice represents the blood that was shed, poured out for our sins. See, this table represents so much represents a relationship with the Father, represents a promise, represents a sacrifice, it represents care, forgiveness, eternity. If you have a question about what it means to become a Christian, to have this faith that we're talking about, to have this security, please come forward and talk to me. 
if you just want to take some time to pray and kind of get right with God, please do that during this time of communion, prayer, and worship.